Hi, podcasting from New York. They say if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. This is Pushing Boundaries. Most of today's commentary on complex social issues is binary, unproductive, and flat-out lazy. With this podcast, I'm looking to hopefully elevate these conversations, and as a lifelong educator, hopefully learn a few things along with you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, so welcome, man. This is episode 11. Uh, it's Black Men, My Story, and I have Mr. Dewan McMillan. Uh, let me read your bio here. Okay, you're a culture coach, executive director of Humble Kids Incorporated. Uh, Brooklyn is in the house. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, graduate of bachelor, uh, bachelor's from Hofstra University and a master's uh, in organizational leadership from Hofstra University. No, from Mercyhurst University. From Mercyhurst University. Yes. All right. Welcome, man. Welcome, welcome to my Yo, show. Yo, thank you, man. I'm, I'm elated to be here, and I'm just excited, man, for you to, you know what I mean, have me on here. Definitely. So I just want to, you know, the context of the story is we, we there are three articles that I share with you, and um, a lot of the things that we hear today is really uh, not indicative in terms of through the media, not indicative of what black men represent today. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to uh, offer alternative views to that narrative by bringing on uh, a guest like yourself to share your personal stories about who a black who who black men represent today. And so um, I want to ask my first question for you today is who are you? Uh, I'm a young black man. Um, I'm a husband, father of two. Take great pride in that. Um, been married. This is our six-year anniversary coming up next month. So, you know, I'm really elated about that because it's just, it's tough, man. And nobody puts you in a, no, you're not in our neighbor, in our culture, you're not you're not raised and prepped to be, you know, as a team, a formidable team coming from where, you know, we came from. So I'm just I'm just excited that my wife and I, you know, dealing with some trauma, you know, eternally with our, you know, with our, you know, with our kid and plus the state sticking together. I'm just I'm just happy to be here, man. Definitely. And doing it together. Cause you need it, you need, you need, you need a team. You need a team behind you to be prosperous in anything that you do and she's a great supporter listen i hear you in that i feel you in that you know um that's interesting that you said that so you are a father and you a father of, of of two two boys yes two boys okay okay married six years yeah march wow. will be six congratulations much success yeah. much success yeah, thank you and i'm Appreciate sure it. i'm sure that was a process absolutely Who did, where did you find that i mean you know in, in in engaging that process of marriage what examples have you had around you to do that work uh, my uncle, he's married. He's been married for about 22 years now. Uh, most of most of my uh, my friends are 40 and over, so they have they're married, and I think that's where, um, you know, they 10, 15 years my senior, so I think that's where I, I, the maturation process comes in for me and the foundation of seeing how, you know, they went through you know tough times, but you know eventually as their kids got older. You know, they went from a tiny, you know, apartment to a house in Long Island. So most of my, 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 you know, my OGs, that's 10, 15 years my senior, 
I really looked at that and I was like, man, that could be that because 10, 15 years is really no time. You got that right. You got that right. You know, and it's, it's interesting that you said it. You're right, 10 or 15 years is no time. And I'm, I'm glad that you you sought to look for role models and mentors to help you build your, your standard of, of, of life. Um, what does it mean to you to be a man and if not a black man? Wow, that, that's a great question, Rob. Because my initial my initial response or my first few words would be strong, mentally tough, things like that. And then, you know, the articles that you read, it makes black men the antithesis of that. Demasculated. Um uh it's just it's just it's stuff that 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 is troubling to see. And it makes me scared to see how my, my two young boys grow up in this society but on how the media portray it. So what it means to be a me a black man, be responsible to understand that our our rope, even though we in this society of anyone could be anything in America, that's totally not true on our end. And I just want to give that education to my to my sons that we gotta walk a tight, tight rope. A tight rope, man. Because it's so easy to get in trouble and do the wrong things culturally and historically. So I just want them to know that, you know what I mean? The choices that we make is is essential. And it starts from eight, nine, ten. You know what I mean? When you really growing into yourself, I say around 11, 12. So I really want them, I just want to embed that to them. Because coming from me, coming from a broken home, you know, Hearing one thing from my moms throughout the week and then going with my dad on the weekend, you get conflicting stories consistently. So my whole thing was I'm a bear down and my wife and I is going to have the same message to accurately convey what we're trying to say to our boys because they're young kings. Yeah, I hear you on that. I hear you on that. So let me just tell me, tell me, you know, because I just want to get a sense of the audience to get to know who you are. What do you do today? What do you What are you into involved in, and what are you engaged in in terms of your your what What keeps you busy, and what are you involved in nine to five? Well, not not nine to five, but twelve to twelve every day. Right, right, right. What's your life and, like? I, and, and in my bio, I said I'm a culture coach. So <clears throat> culture coach, and people say, what is that? Here, well, this is what I mean. I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. I'm in the gym. Basketball to me, the game of basketball is synonymous. To to life. So everything that I'm geared around and what I was raised, I'm going to implement that to the culture. And basketball is culture. That is a form of entertainment. And that's what the culture of America is driven by. So I say that to say, I, I work 9 to 5 or 10 to 6 rather at Parks and Rec, at St. John's Rec. And then from there, I work at, with New Heights, a, a, a non-for-profit organization, uh, we're dealing with kids at seventh grade level, and I also deal with the kids at tenth to eleventh grade level. That's sixteen, seventeen. We travel around the country and try to get these kids a chance at a scholarship, and that is part of the culture because that's a dime a dozen. That is just a happen that where a kid could travel around the country to get a scholarship from a school at Oklahoma State, a school at Oklahoma. That's not happening to the average kid that's playing in St. John's Right. So I'm dealing with kids that, that's from housing, that's coming from across the street to St. John's, 
who would never be exploited to something that when I'm dealing with my other job at New Heights. So I try to bring those two worlds and collide those together mm. and put kids in reality early on. I feel like the teenagers is not in reality early on. And then to top it off with, I run my own not-for-profit where I'm the executive director and uh, it's straight middle school. It's with kids that's, you know, 250 to 300 kids, um, late, uh, ages of 11 to 14. And we just try to give them everything that's centered around the game of basketball that they could do other things. They could be in media. They could be in public speaking. They could do seminars. It's other things around the game of basketball that you could prosper in. You don't have to be the person on the court that's always dribbling the basketball because and in reality, it's only 450. It's not going to be their reality. So I'm a culture coach. I try to take everything that I experienced coaching in Australia, coaching in uh, Iowa, coaching around the country, and I just try to bring that to the kid that's not going to have that normal ex- that, that uh, uh, experience. And I just try to, you know, bring it together and make one big gumbo and hope kids that, you know, put them in reality. Sorry, tell me. So, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Listen, so, um, you know, let's, in talking about basketball, because that is your passion, how does, yeah. it sh- how does it shape you as a young man? You know, how did it bring you up and grow you up as a young man in the game out here? Basketball is my coping mechanism. It helped me escape from the conflicting, uh, the conflicting uh, thing, uh, c- conflicting things that we was going through in in our household with a broken home. Um, my mother, she was scorned from my dad, and her work and being a correction officer didn't help because I think that uh, when you're in the jail, they say when you work in Rackers Island for 20 years, that is equivalent to being in jail for eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think, I think that my mom didn't understand how to cope with that being so young. She brought some of, not some of, most of what she did at work home. And that was traumatic. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, having his wife and his, a whole nother family, they was just so young. They just was, they was such in each other way that they couldn't see, foresee, and put that and put that together for the kids, for the sake of the kids. And we and we struggled with that immensely. My brother and I, we struggled with that. So we didn't. I didn't really understand it until I started having my own family and my own kids. Where, you know, a decade later, two two decades later, where it's like, man, my 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 childhood really played a significant role and hindered my growth. So where do I look and turn? I turn to, I see guys like you. I, I read books like the guys like Frank Mickens, uh, Chancellor Williams, who was the destruction of black civilization. I read that book and those books kind of put me in, in a state of, I have to give my kids a foundation consistently. And that's one thing that we didn't get from my mom and my dad. And I'm just trying to give that to my brother. I mean, my uh, my sons. Can you give us some examples of the things that you did not get from from your own home growing up that you now have to you have to learn to do for your own children now? What what specifically are you talking about? Like, what skills did you have to learn? For, for instance, I grew up in family court, so you think 
you know, both of my parents made six figures. Why the hell are they in family court? Hmm. Things like that. That 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 is serious, man. Hmm. That's serious. That it, they work for the city of New York. They couldn't get a psychiatrist. Nobody above is gonna be like, listen, man. Why y'all even putting the kids through that? Right, right. You know what I mean? There's no, and 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 my dad. And you know, now I'm thinking about like Jay Z, who's you know, our OG. He's just like, he's talking about a therapist, and he's 50 now. Right. No way, my dad would have been talking about that two decades ago. Right. But now I start to see why people go see therapists. Hmm. Why mental health is such is at the forefront now. Hmm. Now I see that. And you know what I mean? So those things, those skills now, I would never have my kids in family court. Because hmm. that's, that's something that culturally, hmm. that we, we're always there. And that's way over our head where if my mom and my dad could have just have a conversation because the court don't know them better than us. Mm. Mm. You feel me, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you so know. So how you gonna put how you gonna put the how you gonna give them make them give decision when they only you only go to court once a month, once right. or twice a month. Right. There's no way they know the kids better when <laughs> than y'all do. That's the thing, man. So in your work, so in your so so basketball helped you to escape those realities that were happening in your absolutely, home. Absolutely, absolutely. And and also, did it did it did it give you a chance to provide you with alternative mentors, and and absolutely. people in that work, and then also absolutely. I guess and also some success in your, your ability to compete, right? And and to find some success and, and rewards and something that you were passionate about. Absolutely, my my dad was my coach growing up, and he gave he gave my my um myself and the guys around me who was fatherless. You know what I mean? The two greatest things you could ever get individually, self-confidence and the ability to compete at a high level. Mm -hmm. My father installed that in us. Those two things you need on and off the floor to to, to prosper. Mm. And he embedded that in us. Mm. But I always tell him, with those two things come humility. And, know, and that's the thing where humility and reality meet each other up. Because hmm. at some point, you're going to have to be humble to either get what you want or to move up. You got that right. In whatever field it is. That's right. I so agree. you can have self-confidence and you can have the ability to compete. But if you're not showing humility, your reality is going to hit you. It's going to be real hard. That's right. It's going to be real hard. So I just try to, nowadays, I try to give guys the self-confidence and the and the and the, uh, the, the, the ability to p- compete at a high level mentally and physically. But I also, the fact that I'm really shoveling the most is humility. We're not humble enough culturally. And that's what a culture coach come in at. Because kids in New York, and I'm just talking about basketball, they think they're just competing with the boroughs. They don't understand that they're competing a scholarship to go to Duke with a kid from Australia, a kid from Texas, a kid from California. It's a broader scheme, and that's where humility come in at. Let me ask you, so switching gears a little bit, let's talk yeah. about, like, like your, your emotional slash mental health. How do you, how do you uh, sustain a healthy, a healthy emotional um, and mental health? So two years ago, Dan Hurley, who was one of my mentors, he coached me in prep school at St. Benedict's. He told me, I told him, I, well, I didn't tell him, I asked him, I said, Coach, how— 
how do you how do you been, was able to be married so long in the game of basketball? Because my goal uh, my goal is to be a collegiate head coach as well. And um, he says, first you got to know that your stuff don't. You got to recognize that your stuff stinks. Mm. Once you recognize that your stuff stinks, then you can move forward with being disciplined on waking up at the same time every day, having some sort of meditation, having some sort of discipline in your household with the kids and everybody's on the same schedule. So those things I try to do and implement to my own my <clears throat> my own world, which is so every day, Ruck, I get up. At 5.45, I work out from 5.45 to about 6.45. When I'm done my workout, I try to meditate for about five to seven minutes. Nothing around me. Just spend some time in deep thought. Spend some time in what moved me emotionally in those five to seven minutes, and then I start my day. That's Monday. That's Monday through Friday. All right, so let's push, let's push it a little further. So when you get in this situation, because one of the things that often um, – you know, uh, men suffer with is when they get into some sort of immediate conflict that they're surprised by. How do you deal with, you know, with conflict that you're surprised by that may um, aggravate, you know, some sort of anger in you? How do you how do you deal with that? How do you get through that difficult situation? Well, when I was younger, I didn't even listen. Part, see, <clears throat> I felt I didn't listen my teenage years all the way through to, I want to say, 23 years old, 24 years old. And that's where humility really struck in with me mm. and it became a part of my DNA. Mm. I really take the time out to listen to people now, really. So if it's some type of conflict or whatever it is, I really take the time out to look up my men or women square in the eye and hear what they have to say before any emotion, before anything that I revert back. Because my whole life, Everything's went one end out the other. I nod, I say, yeah, I did. But I'm not really listening. Most people, I feel like, don't listen, take the time out to listen to people. And I really want to, I really take the time out now, now that I'm 30 years old. I've been practicing about four or five years of really listening and dissecting what people are saying. To really take the time out to understand how to move forward with whatever it is, a conflict or you know what I mean? A money transaction, even if I'm calling the bank over the phone, just to not to get hostile as I once did. Just to take some time out to listen and where it's coming from. The I keep reverting back to foundation, things like that. Where is it coming from? Is it systematic? Like, what is it? So I just take the time out to listen and figure it out before I do anything, bro. All right, all right. So, so you know, I'm going to ask, I'm going to push to the next question is, you know, what's not true about you and this is re definitely referring to those articles right that you read and then right. you know and the articles it just in a nutshell in a summary for those who didn't read it it's it's talking about um a lot of the stereotypes and and the implicit biases that are, are driven against um uh, men of color through media right and so we know what we see in the news and the reflections and and what people begin to think because they see uh, a few constantly on television constantly in public format and they begin to form a perception and so what I want to talk about, what I get to at this point is what's not true about you and what's the, and, and how do you want to form a perception? What is the perception that people should have about you? What's not true about me? What's not true about you? 
Because one yeah, of the things, well, before you even start, let me just say this. I, you know, I, I've worked with you for many years, and I've seen you in the capacity of a coach. And one of the things that was phenomenal to me is that when you would get off set off and you would get off in your personal space, I would see you open up a newspaper. And it was a heavy newspaper. It was Wall Street Journal. It was the New York Times. And you would get into the newspaper, and then you would be annotating, and you would get involved in that newspaper. And the other thing that I would see you was that you would be comfortable in your own peace. I would see you cross your legs, and then you would open the paper, and you would, and, and you would have a lot of males around you. And these males, they, they, would, like, they, would, they would be looking for you as a model, and you would be quiet in your space and at peace and, and comfortable in, in getting this, you know, in, in, in learning, in learning, right? And which was the, the yeah. newspaper. Then I saw you as a, as a, as a coach with, with um, high school uh, age boys, and I saw how you held them accountable, right? And how they began to uh, pick up their own learning and be accountable to their own learning. And then I, I saw you step back to let them grow and, and, and yeah. to deal with the tension of being leaders and, and, and navigating things with each other. And so those are the things that I saw about you. Those things are not necessarily true based on what the narrative has been say, speaking about. So you can just yeah. add on to that. I think, I think that's driven with emotion. Um, what I would say is I, I want to give kids the autonomy to do what they want to do in their space. Because ultimately, they're going to do it negatively or positively. Mm-hmm. So I just try to, whatever that space is, I try to give it to them. And just to answer your question, what's not true is that people think that I'm not emotional. I am emotional. My soulmate, she could drive me insane. <laughs> Literally insane. And I always figured out that I'm like, nah, I'm a macho, ha, gorilla, whatever it is, right, bro? And... And and I was watching uh oh man I forgot I forgot the movie I was watching man and it and it made it was it's with Robin Givens and uh oh man oh Good Will Hunting okay so Good Will Hunting it's a great movie and he said to him what is you ever had a soulmate who 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 drives you so much emotionally that it takes everything out of you and it almost hurts your stomach. And that's true about, that's what's not true about me. There's people think that I have like this shield in front of me that I don't get emotional. And it's high level. It's high level. It's just how, I think, how we cope with it as black men. And it's okay to express that. I'm, I'm emotional. How do, you, how do you express your emotion? What does that look like? Um... Can't say, man. Can't say. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say, man. Listen, I it's all right, say. man. You cry? Absolutely. Okay. I think that's a full. I think, I think a full day is crying. Like when Kobe passed away, Malcolm, immediately, instantly, cried. Like I think a full day crying, spend some time in thought, and I think we gotta laugh, man. I think we gotta laugh more so than you know than the other two, but. I try to have a full day, man. I may not cry every day, but I definitely spend some time and thought just to go back to what you said about reading the uh, New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. I take pride in spending time and thought and challenging myself um, with, with, you know what I mean, every day and making myself uncomfortable. And I, and I try to laugh. And then the emotional happen for I was crying, that's a bonus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so, I, so crying, okay, so you say you definitely engage crying when you need to. What what other emotions come out of you when you when you're in challenge? I mean, what what do you show? 
I mean, do you, is it is it is it a quietness that comes about with you, or is it is it a shouting? Is it a, is it a, is it a um, what what happens what happens to you when you get into an emotional space? Yeah, an emotional. I get I get really really quiet, and that goes back to what you said with the conflict. How do you deal with conflict? I get real quiet hmm. because I, I'm I'm trying to peruse the veranda, understand, and just to cope and take everything in. And and that's what I really try to do with when I'm when I'm emo- highly emotional. I get real quiet, man. It's mm-hmm. it's terrible. It's a terrible. It's, I'm not gonna say it's a terrible thing, but it's something that I, I'm continuously working on because you shouldn't be that quiet, man. You know, I mean, it makes other people, especially my wife, uncomfortable. So so you and, and the kids. So so you try. So you're still looking for ways. So you maybe disengage. No, I'm no never disengage. Okay. It's just a, a airy silence. Mm. It's an airy silence. It's, it's, it makes I don't I don't want to make the person uncomfortable, whether it's a kid or my wife or a person in the street. But I feel like I do. I don't know if it's my eyes or how quiet I get. It's just it's an airy silence, man. It's, it's um I don't even know the word to express, to accurately convey what I'm trying to say, just a, to every sound. But do you find and yourself working through issues and then when you come out of that silence, you're in a better place? No, what I do is I normally write in my journal. Okay. I have a, I have a journal that I've been keeping since October 23rd, 2014, and that's the first, that's the date of birth of my son, my first son, and I've been keeping a journal then. But I, I put so much in my journal that when, when it's finally time out to have a conversation... I already expressed how I felt and the whole thing in the journal that I don't even convey the message to the person on what or how I, you know, what I even think about it. You know, my input on it. And that's what I got to get better at. Mm, okay, okay, but it is written down in your journal, so you have. Oh yeah, yeah, You've confronted yeah, yeah. it, but you I haven't. Can't, I just can't keep it on the membrane. Okay, you haven't communicated, kid. You let it go. You, you put it in the journal. Yeah. You let it go. All right, yep. cool, cool, cool. All right, so so that that's interesting, you know, because those are things that we don't often know here about um, uh, men and especially black men that you know that we're touching, we're feeling, we're feeling individuals, and we have coping mechanisms for how to uh, get through difficult times, you know. Then let's switch the gears now. What is true about you? What is true about you? Oh, uh, I I am. Um... I know we can we captured a lot of things and a lot of features about you, but you know, even beyond. You know, the things that you're connected to and the things that you do, there's something about you that's personal, right? That's true about you. What's personal and true about you? Man, I just I really want the next generation and the generation that I got my hands on to be better than me and to get it faster than I did. Mm. I really I like I'm possessed with putting my imprint on the next generation and the generation after that with being better, man. To understand having a higher understanding level where all that comes through humility and work ethic. I really want, I really just, I really want those guys to be better than us, man. Because I've been to more, I've been to more funerals than weddings. Mm. For real. And I'm 30 years old. So mm. when I, you know, people, when my mother called me, it's like, oh, you getting old. I'm excited that I'm getting old, man. 
three of my good friends that I went to boys and girls with, I went to their funeral mm. for senseless things. Mm. Things that they still was, they was arguing about in, in, in 2007, 2006, when we, uh, when we was in high school. How? Hmm. Come on, man. So I just want to enhance the, the understanding level of the next generation and the generation after that, where they could be prosperous faster than I was, than I am, rather. Hmm. Let me ask you, so another thing, I, I guess I want to push you a little bit more in terms of what's true about you. One of the things that I've noticed with you is the, how much love you show for, uh, for children, and, and especially your own children. Can you just, 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 just tell us, I mean, because one of the things, I, you know, wherever you went in terms of your work, your, your sons were with you, or, you know, your family was with you, or your wife was with you. You're always engaged in your work and, and what you're involved in. And so, how, how, you know, I know that that is a symbol of love, but tell me, how, how do you showcase your love to your children? How does that, what does that look like? Just to share with other people. The, 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 As a father. The, lo- the love that, you know, that I'm conveying, well, I've, I obviously learned it from my dad and my mom, but to be honest, my wife is the person that that shows everybody how how to love in him. Hmm. Everybody's getting love from from her, immense love, consistently, hmm. good or bad, how the day is going. Hmm. So it starts with her and it ends with her. Hmm. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be because her passion, like the game of basketball, I think it's synonymous with life. Her passion is her family, hmm. and she holds that to a high regard. And to be honest, we follow her lead. Mm, mm, mm. What does that look like? Can you give us examples? I'll tell you what it looked like. So Longwood, Longwood Avenue, no, Prospect Avenue is the is the stop on the four train to to uh to Longwood Prep, eventually known uh formerly known as Rucker High School. Mm. And when I was working there it was Rucker High School. My wife would take the train from Flatbush Avenue, which is the first stop and the last stop in Brooklyn to prospect so our son could see me and coach again, see me and my, my shirt and tie at school. She didn't have to do that. Mm. And she did that two to three times a week while I was coaching JV. Mm. Just so we could ride back together as a family going home because I haven't, I would have never seen them all day because the game started at five, six o'clock. So I leave at the house at 6 a.m. That's 12 hours. So she met us wow. when school was over at four. She's showing up the day for us. Wow. And that's what it looks like. So that hour and a half from Flatbush Avenue to Prospect Avenue, wow. that right there. And that was, that consist- energy. And that felt, was consistently. I, and I felt that energy. That's an that's a energy that you feel. That's an energy, and you go off that energy. Hmm. I remember, I remember even you coming to work out with me. Yeah. In the gym. How did that go? What was that about? What you and I working out in the gym? And 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 your wife, she was there with you too to support. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, she was going shopping in Walmart and Green <laughs> and stuff like that, so she wanted to ride. But I just think that she always finds time within the schedule. She allows me, cause she know basketball is my first love. She doesn't be a prisoner to that. She understands that. Mm. She allows me to navigate and use basketball to which makes me happy. And she don't care about basketball, but she she put one foot in front of the other, and now she understands what it is, and she's on board. So whenever time there's a gap in the schedule, 
And like, if I want to go work out with you, bro, okay, that's on the same ride. I can take the kids to Walmart when you're done an hour, hour and a half, and we come back home. Right, she right. always finds those little gaps where it seems like nothing, but they bigger. And they, they, they actually play a big role because I could ride home. That could be a three-hour trip where we're not even in communication. But her riding with me to Long Island, working out for, you know, an hour with you, and then coming back with me, going back for our home, that, that, that's essential. Yeah, that's right. That's it's, right. It's essential. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And, that's a, and it creates more opportunities to communicate and be together. So, yeah, right. I get it. I get it. So let me, let me ask, let me switch gears again. Um, the context behind your story of who made you you. You know, you had to just tell us the narrative of, you know, you, you, you came out of, you know, a, a single mother household. But you did have your father there every, you know, every other weekend or whatever the custodial yeah. agreement was, and yeah. then and then you're 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 going to school. Tell us, just take us up. What happened through schooling? Um, the the challenges and the things that like take us through your rites of passage to get okay. to where you are. Okay. Well, I started I started at Boys and Girls High School, and you know, just a naive, you know, young kid. I was a talented, talented athlete. Uh, I was still ch- channeling that basketball was more important than, than uh, high school, than my grades rather, excuse me, than academics. And I and I was, it was hard to to balance because once again the conflict in the high, the household. You know, my dad. It's hard to it's hard to lay down the ground rules when you're not there every day. Mm. Of what he's actually trying to convey to me, which was, you got to do your schoolwork, you got to do the schoolwork. But I'm 14, and it's 3,500 girls and and uh, and boys and girls, and I'm the only freshman on varsity. Like, what are you telling me? I'm big man on campus, so I I didn't really understand that. Mm. Subsequently, subsequently, uh, I was academically ineligible my sophomore year. Uh, Miss Lewis, she tells me you got the sophomore blues, and I would never forget that. And that's what I needed. I needed. And uh, next year, I played at Boys and Girls. I spent three years there. And I needed just a change of scenery. I wanted to go into St. Benedict's Prep in uh, Newark, New Jersey. I was a fifth-year senior. I graduated. And then I wound up going to South Florida University. And my past haunted me again, where I didn't take the academics be serious. So I was ineligible. I had to go to junior college in Miami. And then I went to another junior college in Iowa. But these places was helping my growth. Every place that I went to, not only on a court basketball, but culturally. So before I went to Iowa, my mother said, you're going to Iowa? I don't know about those, those white people out there. But she'd never been to Iowa. She'd never been to the Midwest. So she's telling me something that she sees on, on television. But when I went out there... It's, that's the best time I got to see Obama. I got to take a picture with Obama. I got to talk to him and shake his hand. That was the best decision of my life. I'm why, and then I didn't understand why is the Iowa caucus? Why is that? Why do presidential candidates come to Iowa? What's so special about Iowa? But that right there was building me up culturally. Where a kid that now that I work at St. John's Rec, he won't understand that. Now I could convey that to him how people are in the Midwest. So my whole my basketball journey on and off the floor, it, it it helped me immensely. 
And then I came back home. I finished up at, at Hofstra. And I got right into coaching at the collegiate level. Coached at the collegiate level for two years at Mercy Oaks University, where I got my master's. And then I coached for two years at Wagner College. And then I'm, I'm now I'm at the high school level and uh, AAU level. So here am I now. Nice. But all that stuff led to me. Yeah, man. It, it made me well-rounded. Hmm. Hmm. And so, so just you, I mean, you know, this is a great story that you told us today is because you, you clearly uh, explain and, and uh, articulate how you navigated through a lot of consequences and a lot of things that were going on around you in terms of fallout around you with your peers. And you were able right. to, through your focus and your passion of a sport like basketball, find your way. And even through, even though you may have gone off in cases, you, you know, there was a rites of passage in that process that made you who you are today. And so we, right. don't want, we don't want to ever take that for granted, and, and we thank you for sharing that. Now, if you had mm-hmm. to, to, to offer some learnings today for men that are coming behind you and men that are even some men that are before you that are in between, so the, the men that are not the yet the 40, but where you are in age-wise, and so between the 30 and the 40, what is your advice to those and the ones that are under 30? What's your advice to be a man? Structure and discipline. Hmm. And... And Godfather is my favorite movie. And Vito Corleone, he said it the best. He said, children and women could be responsible, could be irresponsible, but not a man. Mm. And, 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 and specifically a black man, it's harder. Mm. So we have no room forever. Mm. If so, mm. a little margin. Mm. We, could, we, could, we, we probably could use a cursive outside the margin one time throughout a whole loose leaf sheet. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. We can't be irresponsible at all. Mm. And that's with capital. That's with learning capital. That's with showing humility. Mm. That's with being a good person in the community. All that stuff goes together. Structure, discipline, and we cannot be irresponsible with nothing. Man, listen, man, this is an awesome interview, man. And thanks for sharing and thanks for being on the show today. You gave us a lot of food for thought. And, and a lot, a lot, a lot of jewels, man. And and I hope that the audience is going to be able to pick from this and 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 use this to improve their lives and use you as 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 an example to help them make the right choices in life. But thanks a lot, man. You got anything? Yo, Ruck, Ruck, any Ruck, plugs? We did it, baby. Yeah, yeah, we did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, got, you, man. You got any plugs, man? You want to plug your organization? Oh yeah, man. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Humble League. The Humble League. Um, you could go to our website at thehumbleleague.org. Subscribe. I think you'll love it. It's culture. It's uh, young males, young um, young females. Um, you know, showing us, showing what you know the next generation has to offer. And Ruck, I thank you for allowing me. You know, um, you know, to be on your platform. I greatly appreciate it. I'm elated, and I'm excited that we got this thing done. You got it, man. You got it. Thanks for listening to Pushing Boundaries. Once again, my name is Sharif Rucker. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do me a favor by commenting, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with everyone you know. All of these things are free and take very little effort, but would mean the world to me. Thanks again and stay tuned.